You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. We have an all-star Beltway Briefing cast on a rainy Friday. You have Patrick Martin coming to us live from Chicago. Tristan Bro coming to us live from D.C. Towner live from D.C. And I am live from D.C. So here we go. It's the four of us. Mark and Caitlin are other places. And a lot a lot of news, obviously, guys. Um, Ukraine, but... Uh, the news today that there's a Supreme Court pick to be announced this afternoon. And of course, I have my Tulane Green Wave hat on in honor of the uh, start of Mardi Gras yesterday. So I, I hope uh, Emily Schweitzer is being careful down in New Orleans as she uh, parties for the next few days. But but in all seriousness, lots of lots of important news to cover, I guess. Tristan, let's start with the Supreme Court announcement. Uh, give us give us your take. Tell us about it. So first of all, I'm, I'm quite um, personal for me. Um, one of the folks that was being considered uh, was Candace Jackson, uh, who's a judge out of the Seventh uh, Circuit, which is uh, where Patrick is right now. He's out of Chicago. Um, and so she's a cousin of mine and just honored to actually have a family member to actually be considered for the yeah. Supreme Court and just Amazing. make it. So it's a, it was a great holiday season and definitely a, a great, um, great ride, but all in all, I think we, we were prepared for this. Um, you know, it, it was, it was no, it was the worst kept secret in DC that he was going to nominate, um, a black woman, but Kataji is, is a, phenomenal jurist you know she's been approved by both sides of the aisle three times um you know she has bipartisan support um she she clerked for justice Breyer, uh so she embodies him in so many ways and so she meets the moment you know she she has the the public defender background that biden was looking for um she has the the, the, the rule of law uh, uh persona that he was looking for as well as him being the former judiciary chairman and so we, we're, we're at a good time. I think it's, it's going to be a good moment. McConnell has already mentioned that he's going to give her um, the respect of being the first. And it's going to be a, a smooth process, so to speak. Um, uh, there will be folks who are probably going to vote against her. But all in all, I think it's going to meet the moment. And I think Mark, and it's been said it before, and a couple of my colleagues have said it before, you know, Republicans gain nothing by making this into a spectacle. Um, you know, it's a seat that we have on the, on the on the Democratic side and it's history. And so um, I see it being a great couple of weeks absent Ukraine um, for, for what's going to come. But um, my daughter's happy. Uh, and so she's she's overjoyed. And it's, it's a great moment, I think, that we all needed in politics within the Beltway. Well said. Tristan, uh, thank you. Towner, what are you uh, what's your take? Well, I don't want to ruin this kumbaya moment by any stretch of the imagination. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get in the way of of that bipartisanship that uh, that Tristan offered. I will start by saying there are no Democrat or Republican seats on the Supreme Court, so let's start there. Uh, doesn't there? There none none that are assigned at this point per se. And I understand 
we're essentially replacing a Democrat with a Democrat. I wish we would still be in a situation from both sides where we would replace good jurists with good jurists, but that ship sailed uh, a number of decades ago and, and we're never getting it back. I will be very curious. Two things stand out to me. First of all, obviously, you had a number of Republicans and moderate Democrats in the form of Joe Manchin come out in support of of Judge Childs uh, in in recent weeks in the in the run up to this. Obviously, uh, President Biden's chosen to go in a different direction. I will be very curious to know eventually, as somebody writes a memoir, why he went in a different direction. Was it the actual interview process, or was there a push from the White House? My initial gut reaction is that. Uh, some folks who we think are more liberal around President Biden, maybe it pushed him in that direction a little bit. I will also note from all the coverage since the announcement uh, was was released since since the president called uh, called her last night. Uh, most of the articles I have read from uh, what we would consider to be liberal media have fallen all over themselves talking about in the first several paragraphs how she was a public defender to try to uh, deflect against Childs being from public university. And then they bury the whole she went, you know, uh, to Harvard undergrad and law school uh, way down at the end of the articles. Um, but, you know, this is uh I think this is going to be a little bit more contentious than it otherwise would be. But we'll see, you know, if Manchin comes out and says, yes, we still are in a 50-50 split at this point. And, you know, Collins has never voted against any Supreme Court justice nominee. Uh, so you got to assume that we got 51 there. You got to assume that Murkowski is going to vote in favor and you might throw in a Mitt Romney and a few others. Um, but, you know, I think this is going to be more contentious than it otherwise could have been if Childs was was nominated. Listen, she's going to get confirmed. I mean, let's just start there. Right. Second, and Howard is an executive branch uh, vet. You will like this. Members of Congress just don't get to pick who gets to be on the Supreme Court. I mean, it's just they get they get to vote on it, and they 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 can certainly uh, if they have an objection uh, to the who gets nominated or something comes out that's uh, a problem. We've seen that happen before. Then they can weigh in that way. But at the end of the day, she was the front runner from the very beginning. I, I think you're right, Towner. I think they're trying to balance out. You know, the the objection on from some people on the left was her corporate law background, some other things like that. So they're really pumping up, you know, the public defender background, her history working with the sentencing commission. You know, that's really important. But I think at the end of the day, she was, you know, kind of the the natural pick. It sounds like I don't think it has been confirmed yet necessarily, but it sounds like Childs is going to get a promotion out of this to uh, potentially and, and be nominated to fill the seat on the U.S. Uh, Court of Appeals that she's vacating if she gets confirmed for the Supreme Court. So that could be a nice way to, you know, to kind of make everyone happy. But I, I, to which your is, point, which is Merrick Garland's old seat, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but to your point, I mean, Collins has never voted against a Supreme Court nomination. I mean, barring something uh, just huge that was missed in the vetting, I, I just, I mean, it's, you know, it's always interesting and it's kind of like as political people fun to kind of horse race track it. But uh, back to what Tristan said, I'm excited to watch the press conference, especially amidst everything else that's going on in the world. It's nice to be reminded, you know, on a on a dreary Friday that there's still history to be made and and we're still, uh, you know, improving as a country and elevating people and voices that otherwise uh, have not been in the past. She was confirmed 5344 in June. For the D.C. Circuit. Yeah. So 
That's a tight vote, though. It's a tight vote. No, it's not. I mean, it's compared to like Childs got on her, got on the appeals or on the seventh or which circuit is she on? I can't remember. But anyway, Childs got on with a vote, I think, in the low 70s, if I'm not mistaken. I got to double check that. But like 53 for for D.C. circuit is is a pretty tight vote. By the way, Towner, don't mock the Ivy League because there are some some of our colleagues who listen to this with multiple Ivy League degrees get very offended when we make fun of the Ivy League. So I'm all for making fun of the Ivy League. Yeah, and you went to you went to Duke anyway, so I don't know where you get off. We're not in the Ivy League. Now we're good at sports, things like that. (laughs) You're good at basketball. We have bas- Which, we have major sports. I mean, it's not yes, just it's, like we're talking about how great we were at Crew this year, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, I, you know, I, I also I also have to say though, I think um, I, I think for, if if I could make a very very far fetched guess here, I would think the White House also had concerns with the amount of sway that majority whip Clyburn has with the administration. Um, you know, there's a lot of folks in, in, in the, you know, the current in the country who feel like he's kind of the shadow president when it comes to Biden on things. And if he had had like a way with pushing this all the way through, it may have sent the wrong message to a lot of different people. And so I think that that, even though he listens to Jim Clyburn, I think had he went along with, with um, you know, Michelle Childs as great as she was, I also think it was political too of like being able to lead. Yeah, I agree with that. And on the vote, I just like when are we? I mean, it would be nice to court uh, votes that are like in the sixties and seventies and eighties, like we used to. But it just haven't hasn't happened in a while. So if you're Biden, you pick the best person you think for the job, assuming you think they can get fifty plus one, and then you just you just go from there. Listen, you both, Tristan and and Patrick, have made an important point, which is Patrick. You said I would like it as a former executive branch guy. You know, to note that the president makes the pick, which is essentially the same thing you're saying, Tristan. It's like Biden doesn't want to look like he's just doing Clyburn's like what Clyburn wants. He wants he's the president and he wants to look like it's his pick. Right. And not like he was bullied into making the pick because the South Carolinians pushed him to to do it. And you're right. And by the way, this like is a very important point in terms of our day-to-day work too. Like it is a fine, it is a very delicate dance how you use the legislative branch to push the executive branch. We deal with this every hour of every day. Yeah. Um, because the the executive branch, the president does not like to be pushed by Congress. Agency heads do not like to be pushed by Congress and it can backfire on you. And maybe that's what, you know, part of what, what happened here, you can push too far. I think it backfired on child. That's what I mean. Every every time you saw her being brought up to light on CNN or MSNBC or any news station, the next line was backed by Jim Clyburn, who had an immediate impact on Biden in South Carolina. Maybe (laughs) it might've, Backfired, but also she's a U.S. District Court judge in South Carolina. I, I also think you could you could do a coin flip on that and say she hadn't she hadn't the final two pick without Clyburn and Graham and Mansion and others weighing in. It, it ultimately, as a as a choice between the final two, it could have been 
hurtful, but I mean, the exposure she got with this, if she gets the promotion, I mean, it's all been, she's, she's got serious backers, which is good. And you know what? We've seen that in one term, a president can end up filling three of these seats. Who the heck knows? It's all sort of like good for her, right? For, for the future. Well, I think she'd probably like to be the pick, but yeah, my point is, you know, I, I think they may have pushed it too far. You don't, you don't want it to look like a political pick. Right. Is the point. Right. And I'm just analogizing it to what we do every day where it's, you know, it's the fine line and um, it's a big part of what we counsel our clients on just to tie it to our day jobs. The irony here is that Biden as Senator would have been one of those senators pushing childs and getting a little bit angry behind the scenes. The childs wasn't picked. Yeah. And, And sometimes it works too, by the way, Stephen Breyer's not get Stephen Breyer's not getting picked without Ted Kennedy and Senate Judiciary Committee members saying he is one of us. We love him. He came up working on the committee. Like they got, they helped elevate him, and Clinton went for that. But to Howard's point, it it can definitely go the other way. And and I think Tristan, you brought up in like the last podcast, this is super personal to Biden and to claim they feel like this is like their thing. They've been waiting to do this. They've been on the other side of it. So yeah, to Howard's point, I, I think you're totally right. I mean, yeah. I just think it can end up aggravating. Anyway, elsewhere in the world, uh, we're watching Ukraine unfold uh, on TV. It's 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 surreal. Um, just it doesn't there's, doesn't feel real in a, in a in a way like just it. I don't know. It's like it feels like it's 1940, but yet we can turn on CNN and it's playing out on our screens. It's just to me, very, very weird and, and eerie. And I guess what, what's your take on um, how Biden has dealt so far with the run up to the war and now um, in the wake of um, the invasion, Patrick? Yeah. Uh, so agree with everything you said. I mean, it's just the whole thing is so defeating. And um, on a personal note, I'm sure all four of us feel like this. And Howard, you've been living this a lot longer, given that your kids are older. But this stuff, like as a parent... Did you just call like, me old? No. Old, your guys did your kids are older. I, I think he <laughs> just <laughs> called me old. No way. <laughs> um, but like as a newer parent, new-ish, like this stuff just is, it It hits you differently. And there was footage on CNN this morning. My wife was showing me of a hospital in Ukraine where they had to pull all the babies off the NICU and bring them down to a basement. They'd taken them off the ventilators and they were giving them manual air. Uh, to, and, and you're just watching this. And as I probably mentioned, my wife's due in a couple of weeks. And it just, it hits me totally differently than it did before being a parent to your question on how the president's handled it. I think he's handled it fine. It's really hard when you have someone like Putin who, uh, you know, intelligence reports have been saying is, is committed to doing this and we are not committed uh, to, to really being able to do a whole lot outside of the economic sanctions. It's sort of like, it feels a little inevitable, which is kind of defeating. Um, because you're looking back and you're like, what could we have done uh, or, or what could be done? But if he's committed to doing this, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of all she wrote. I, I the, I'll, I'll put in one thing. I'm like a big media hater, basher, cable news basher. I will say this is like the one time when like you really appreciate cable news because 
you go through the day and I wanted to kind of catch up. And I watched like two or three hours of CNN last night, which I never do. And it was like real journalism. It was like, what's going on? They were bringing on real experts, Democrats, Republicans. They had David Remnick on who wrote Lenin's Tomb uh, from The New Yorker. And he he's just a total Russia expert. And so it was just an interesting thing. I was reminded like, this is when having 24-hour news actually is, is kind of helpful. Tanner, so, uh, Tristan, go ahead. No, so what I was going to say is I... I I have to take my gloves off on this one because I, I really wrestled Ooh. with this as we were preparing for this podcast because I, I didn't I didn't want to be the one, but I feel like the Sounds only like time, you're about to be. <laughs> I, I I think it's really un-American, and I think it's really telling of a leader that you have all of the former living presidents who know about making decisions like this stand up and say, you know, yes, this is wrong. This is an issue. We stand united with the commander in chief. That's what the that's what the American people are supposed to do in times of war. And you have the former president, um, former President Trump, who just doesn't see it that way. And for me, it is it is the it is the epitome of arrogance It's the epitome of ignorance, so to speak, of like he just wants to be different and on a pedestal and. That didn't, now is not the time to do that. And so I think what Biden has done, he, he's walking a very, very, President Biden has done, he's walking a very thin line. He doesn't want to be as aggressive as he could be. He's a very, he's a diplomat by by design. He's always been, he feels like he can go look across the table and have a conversation with you. So he's not an aggressive person, but he could be. And I think he's doing all that he can, but we have to unite as a country because we have a pending war happening. And for President Trump to do that has just like append everything that we've tried to do. And in the words of Mike Pence, <laughs> weakness arouses evil. And I think that showing the lack of unity is that weakness that we have as a country. Sorry, I, I had to be the one. You're <laughs> here. You're here. Yeah. I mean, totally agree. Totally agree with everything you just said. Um, unfortunately, like 80 plus votes for a Supreme Court nominee. Uh, in the Senate. Also, the uh, the general principle of not criticizing a president uh, from a different party is the United States enters some sort of conflict uh, had went out the window a couple decades ago as well. Uh, so I can't say that there's there's only angels uh, on the other side. Uh, yeah, but, but that's not what he, Tana, that's not what he's I know, saying. He's I know, not talking I know. about a full, I know. he's not talking about criticizing the current occupant of the office. He's talking about praising a foreign leader who's invading a sovereign country. And so what I was going to follow up and say is that if you look at anybody who's currently in elected office, as the former president is not, if you look at, and and I would say that the vast, vast majority, uh, specifically of Republicans, but uh, certainly of Americans, don't agree with him in any way, shape, or form. If you look at the statements coming out of those who are elected officials in Congress right now, they are supportive of the president. They may think the president hasn't gone far enough when it comes to sanctions. And I agree with them, but I also agree that the president can't go any further because the Europeans are weenies and they won't go any farther. And that irritates the heck out of me. Um, but you know, the, the bottom line is that if you look at the folks that are that are elected, that are actually holding public office, they are in support of President Biden. They have been in support of President Biden and his efforts here. I think 
Quite frankly, the Bidens handled this so much better than Bush handled Georgia in 2008, than Obama handled uh, the uh, Crimea situation in, in 2014. Uh, the the Uncovering of intelligence, the the lead up that the president did was was different than any other way we've handled this in the past. Uh, in the past, we've watched Russia amass their forces. We've tried to talk to the international community. You know, when the actual action happens, that's when we start saying, "Okay, we got to do something to to end this." Come together, NATO. The President Biden and his team saw this in advance. They have been warning about it for months at this point, and they have put the diplomatic groundwork into place to address this. Now, I got a beef with the Europeans who say, oh, well, we can't have any disruption to our gas from Russia, which is, by the way, they're the world's gas station. That's their number one export. They're not going to lose any money. They're gaining more money now with the price of gas going up as a result of the conflict. Um, and, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk in the last 48 hours or so about, about SWIFT banking, and, and it really is relying on the Europeans to uh, to remove Russia from the SWIFT banking system, and they're not going to do it uh, because how would they process their gas payments to Russia uh, in the midst of this conflict? But, you know, I, my fear is this. I don't think Russia's going any farther than Ukraine, but if they did, I don't know that we have a greatest generation in us that's going to go over and save Europe's bacon again. Well. If that were to happen, which is the giant if, I mean, we're we're in a war. Like if they go into Poland, forget it. We're we're at war. Um, now I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, Putin is not suicidal, he's cunning, but not suicidal. Um but let's face it, this is at the end of the day, this is all about having nuclear weapons because Russia as a country is, isn't a superpower. Their economy is, they have less than a $2 trillion economy. We have a $22 trillion economy. In the same GDP as Texas. Texas, that's what I heard right. last night. Yeah, that. So this is about Putin satisfying his ego and being up on that pedestal and trying to look like a conqueror. He, he's an autocrat. And by the way, it's not a surprise. Autocracy loves autocracy. Like who's surprised that Donald Trump is, is, is saying positive things like Donald Trump is an autocrat and Putin's an autocrat. And it's the same thing, just, a, you know, through a different path. It's, it's, that's, that's no surprise. And I, I do think it's a, and I do think it's important that he's he's not in office. Like God forbid, God forbid. You know, um, you know here's 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 the other thing. I mean, I Putin is not a a, a warrior. Like he's he's as you said, Howard. He's, he's a spy. He's, he's not. Yeah, he's not. He's not. A, he's not a warrior. My fear with that though is that when we start to strain him financially on the Russia side, he is strengthening his relationship with China, and. If he like literally calls in a favor, um, that could be retribution on us. And I, and I just don't want this to be into a. I see this being a financial war more than an actual like physical war. Like we're going to go back and forth on economies. We're going to have an issue right. of you know potentially depression style. I, I feel like feel like we're going to go in that point rather than actually putting boots on the ground having a war. 
it could also be a cyber war too. And so again, we, this could go on, not not to correlate it to Russia. This could be a cold war where it's like forever. <laughs> and so it's going to be a, a long period of time, but it's going to help the president in the long run, because again, he's he's a, a diplomat by trade, but also has experience with this. I just don't want this to clog up the airways for the next year because we're going back and forth with Russia. Also will make point that I hope that his advisors are telling him not to spend more than five minutes, if that, in his speech on Tuesday, talking about the Ukraine. Because then that will suck up everything that he's actually done. And it's an opportunity for him to talk about the things that he's accomplished on a bipartisan basis and not just talk about Russia and Putin, which is really what, what Putin wants. And we do want to we do want to talk about Tuesday and uh, the State of the Union. Um, but I, I want to just address one point you raised there, which is I, I don't know that it like makes him look good at the end of the day. I think it circumstances on the ground and our reaction to it and and how this unfolds and whether it spills over will dictate, I think, how how Biden looks at the end of the day. And like God forbid we end up embroiled in this in some way and in, in a in the sense of actual combat. You know, I don't I don't I don't know. Like like and Putin obviously knows Americans are war weary and they don't want to see their troops in harm's way. So he's going to push the envelope, Patrick. The whole, the whole West is war weary. And right. yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's something I've been thinking about a lot because it's, it's the lingering effects of a generation that lived through Iraq and Afghanistan. And, uh, regardless of how you feel about the exit, you know, I think everyone was war wary from what went on in the Middle East. And your point exactly, Howard, Putin knows that this is not, you know, the Gulf War and the, 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 there is not uh, a feeling of we need to go over there and stop these guys um, among the American public. Every poll, it's like, I mean, not even a question uh in terms of should we send ground troops over there? I think the American public is becoming, uh, I agree that I don't think Putin is going to uh, invade uh, a country in NATO and trigger Article 5 and have uh, ground troops from the West come in and, and fight a war. I, I, I just don't think he's, he's going to do that. Um, but I do think Americans are realizing that as we've stepped up closer to this line, that we do have an obligation uh, in cer certain circumstances to you know, uh, to defend freedom when necessary. And I think, I hope that, you know, I don't know how, I, I know people at home are busy and everyone's got busy lives. And I don't think people sit around thinking about this all the time, but people should spend a little time, all Americans thinking about what our role in the world is, what we're willing to do. I guarantee that if we uh, needed to send troops over, that there are young men at Fort Bragg and throughout the country that are, they've been training for this. They're prepared for this. And, you know, no one wants to go to war, but I do think all of us need to spend some time as Americans thinking about what, what is our role in the world? What, you know, what does justify uh, American intervention? Because well, it can't just be Iraq and Afghanistan went horribly. So we're never going to do anything again, because if that's the case, that's not good for the bad guys. <laughs> That's well, not, not how you want to go into a... No, but I, I think Americans, yeah, in an ideal world, we'd be thinking about that, but we're too busy thinking about what is our role in 
<laughs> domestically. Yeah. Like we've been boomeranging so much from one perspective to another. And there's, and everybody, it's almost cliche to talk about the division now. But, um, you know, I, I think it's hard to think about your role in the world when you can't wrap your mind around where we are internally. And believe me, Putin knows that too. China I mean, it. he's caused yep. some of it. Yes. And, and so it's, it's troubling. I think there's three different types of, of, of effort here. There, there's the, we're going after somebody who came after us. That was Afghanistan the first year or two. Then there's, you know, we're intervening intervention uh, with the military to try to uh, help some sort of regime change. And we're going to have grave disagreements over whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's obviously what Iraq was and what Afghanistan became. Uh, but then there is defending your territory. And I think we're sort of in that third category right now where, you know, you sort of you sort of look and say, uh, if we're if we're NATO and we're we're committed to NATO, then we have to be there at the end of the day. Yeah. And, you know, part of me, if I were president, I'd put 100,000 troops in, on the Polish border right now and I'd say, bring it. You know, yeah. I know nobody would do that. It's totally impractical. I completely get that. Uh, and it will never happen. But at the same point in time, you know, I I want some show of force. You know, even MSNBC yesterday was criticizing President Biden for not calling up the 8,500 person uh, ready reserve uh, to protect NATO, for example. I want I want some yeah. show of no further. How about an overwhelming vote to allow new membership amongst countries like Finland who are trying to get in? Like, I understand in the midst of U Ukraine wanted to get in and no one in the West would would go for it. But like, let's let's do something else. I agree with you, Tanner, like show that. If we're not going to commit ground troops to Ukraine, just show what the line is and yeah, and and you know, show force in a different way. Right. All right. Well, uh, Tristan, you raised Tuesday in the State of the Union. What are you what are you looking for on Tuesday night from I'm the president? Him, I'm looking for him to brag. Um and and and, I, and I'm just looking for him to come in and explain to the American people what he's actually done. Like we, we've, we've seen a lot of debate between, you know, the right and the left. And, you know, a lot of pundits have broken down a lot of things and policy proposals. But, you know, President Biden has not talked about the bipartisan bill. He hasn't talked about the American Recovery Act. Like he hasn't talked about those things, like how this is impacting. He needs to figure out how to tell stories and correlate it to some child in West Virginia who needs child tax credit because Joe Manchin is not doing it, how that has impacted them. Like he has to bring about that American president. And I'm, I'm expecting him to articulate that in a way that he hasn't done, you know, thus far as being as being president. I also hope that he lays a, a you know, a strategic plan out between now and, of course, the end of the year with this Congress. Like, he knows the Congress that he has. He knows the, the obstacles that, that, that are in front of him. Re regardless of the election, he knows what he can get done. He knows his votes. Lay that out so that the American people have something to go to their members of Congress with and saying, hey, how are you voting on this? How are you voting on that? This is his bully pulpit, and he hasn't used it from the White House. He hasn't used it um, as he's negotiating on 
uh, these town halls that he's been doing. But this is his moment of prime time across the country and across the world to show exactly what he's done and put a plan out in place. And uh, it's it's his to lose. And so yeah. I want to see that from him. I want to articulate it well. He's going to try to go off script a couple times. That's fine. It's who he is. But make sure that he has it, that it's relatable to you know the American people. I've said it from the beginning. He needs to be Joe Biden from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Not Joe Biden from Washington, D.C., not Joe Biden from Delaware. He has to be the Scranton Joe Biden yeah. and explaining it to those people like he's talked to on Patrick. Yeah, well said. Patrick, do you, do you think this is this a partisan speech or a bipartisan speech? I think it's I think it will, given the events of this week, be a more unifying American president speech than it will be a public policy, congressional agenda focused build back better speech. I, I don't think that's what's coming. I, I I think he will use this moment to first of all say I think in, in some way remind the country why he got elected in the first place, which is that in a very dangerous, complicated world, you want a steady-handed adult at the helm who is reliable and not erratic and who has a moral compass and who believes in uh, the America that I think the people, you know, that, that we know and love. I, I, I think the most important thing he can do if, in reference to what's happened with Russia and Ukraine this week is just remind Americans of, of what we stand for and what is worth fighting for. And, and frankly, why Russia is doing this in the first place. I think there's a, there is a tie in there that he will focus in on to rally Americans around our way of life. And, you know, remind people that it isn't a given, but we do things in America uh, and we live the way we do for a reason. Um, and that democracy, uh, you know, still does have a future in this world. And I, I so I think it will be more focused on I, I anticipate it will be tying the domestic accomplishments and what his administration cares about more broadly to contrast with what's happening with Russia and Ukraine than it will be like a, you know, this is what I, this is what bill I want people to pass kind of thing. Towner, how do you think the R's react to, to the speech? Yeah, I think, you know, here's the, here's the tricky thing. So how much are they going to be kowtowing to Donald Trump uh, in their applause uh, when it comes to Ukraine? I hope they stand up and I hope they applaud President Biden when he talks about the actions that the United States has taken uh, against Russia uh, in Ukraine. I, I really hope they do. And I think they will. Uh, seeing their statements, I think they will for the most part. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting because I sort of think you know, there is a safety valve here for President Biden, and this could be a very um, controversial statement, and I apologize in advance. But, you know, I think we're going to see the administration tie the actions in Ukraine to inflationary problems that were happening in the United States uh, and were going to happen in the United States if Ukraine didn't happen. And I think they're going to you're they're going to try to tie politically well, because we're taking the actions we are against Russia over Ukraine, you know, you see all this inflation, you see interest rates rising. And I think there's going to be there's going to be an effort to link uh, our inflationary problems and interest rates to um, to national security issues, which I would do if I were them, quite frankly, um, you know, by saying we're going to see the pain coming. But, you know, at the same point in time, it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they deflect on that. 
Yeah. Maybe they're not stupid though, either. They know like people aren't, they, they recognize Americans were de- grappling with inflation and high gas prices too. Like, I mean, they, they may draw the connection a little bit on the energy stuff, but they, I mean, I don't think they're like, I think they recognize that's probably not going to work. I mean, the American public, the dies kind of in cast, unless the economic factors get better. I don't think anyone's going to like bail the administration out politically because of what's going on overseas. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they'll try, but it'd be dumb because I don't think. <laughs> Do they stand up and applaud when he talks about the Supreme Court pick? Republicans? Yeah. No. I, I think some Senate Republicans will. I, I think there will be, I think there is going to be enough. I, I would actually watch McConnell. I, I think, I think he might not get up, but I think he will clap. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes when it comes to that, I think and I think Lindsey Graham, too, I think Lindsey Graham has been vocal about, you know, making it be, a, you know, make it more look like America. And I think that, again, stop shorting of getting up. I think he will. He will. Cry. It's, it's oh, well, a it's a good moment. I had one thing on Towner's thing about just um, Repu- like the Republican response, which I, I pray, you know, th- there is no doubt that in the era of Trump, the Republican Party has become more populist and the the MAGA, America first, yada, yada, whatever. On issues of national defense and security, I just, I gotta believe, like you hear guys like Marco Rubio and and other Senate Republicans talk. I, I really do think that's an area where Trump is so far on the fringes. And I mean, his position on something like this is just, it is deplorable and indefensible. And it's like horrifying to hear an American president praise someone like Vladimir Putin for invading a sovereign nation. I, I got to believe, particularly at the beginning, that, that Republicans will stand and applaud when, when President Biden makes broad overarching points about America, our way of life, democracy, and that this is wrong, what Putin is doing. I just, I, I gotta believe that, that that's, that's what's going to happen. But listen, if he goes too far, he could have the opposite of his intended effect. I mean, again, God forbid, we don't want to be in a power. What's that? Are you saying Putin? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. Putin goes too far and draws us into an actual physical conflict. I, you know, it's, it's echoes of 1945 and, and the, or the world war II, I should say, and the cold war. And I think that, um, you know, (laughs) the country could potentially, you know, it's something the country could come together. And I mean, again, nobody wants to be in combat towner, but yeah, it's, it's possible. Hey, I've had a lot of names uh, that I've been called over the over my 22 years in politics, Warhawk, neoconservative, you name it. Uh, there's been there's been uh, a lot of words uh, made up over uh, essentially what are George W. Bush uh, era Republicans. Um, but, you know, this is the kind of thing that uh, is is frankly should be in our wheelhouse. And I don't like Trump taking that you know, sort of, sort of, uh, flavor out of the party to a, to a degree that uh, we do care about free market capitalism, but we also uh, care about uh, freedom and we care about uh, intervention where needed to protect and defend freedom. So, you know, these are, these are things that I, I hold here personally. Tanner, Tanner, we all know that you're a man of peace. 
a man of peace, somewhat <laughs> and a, a man of peace and a dookie. Um, all right. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, very God. I, I feel like what we were worried when Trump was no longer president that these pot, we wouldn't have anything to talk about on these podcasts, but that is not the case. Of course it is helpful to, summon the ghost of the former president and Patrick called him Voldemort this week. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's weird. He's like the opposition leader. Who's, who's just out there waiting. It's like, it's just, it's so un-American and bizarre. Odd. Yeah. Unpresidential. <laughs> Unpresidential for sure. Well guys, I'm off to my 25th uh, virtual Capitol Hill meeting this week. And I hope everybody has a great week. And thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Thanks, Howard. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.